E-commerce expansion myths blasted. Successful cross-border expansion help. Listen to the show to hear how one UK company is helping e-commerce sellers successfully expand into Europe and double their profits. Hosted by Andy Hooper of Global E-commerce Experts. Welcome to Global E-commerce Experts. Uh, welcome to our podcast series. Very excited about today's episode. Uh, I, 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 in the in the pre-discussion before the podcast here, I was talking to Pradeep and said that he was a legend. He said he was a myth. Actually, do you know what? I think both of those work. Uh, I, I, I would I would say you're currently one of the most networked individuals in e-commerce, certainly uh, where we are here in the UK, and certainly a thought leader and uh, an influencer. So welcome very warmly, Dr. Pradeep Kumar Sassidoran. Fantastic. Well done on the surname. Um, it's better to be a myth because you sometimes need to go undercover and turn up somewhere and, and then other times just not turn up at all. Pradeep, I'm sure, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not sure that you could nowadays go undercover. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. <laughs> so, yeah, very well, welcome. I'm very, we're very pleased to, um, to have you here. We spend a lot of time hearing and seeing the things that you're involved with and your opinions on different matters and your successes within the e-commerce landscape. So congratulations on that front. For people that don't know you, can you can you start with telling us a bit about you and how you got into this into this landscape? How'd you get into this? Yes. Family and friends actually call me a serial dropout, not a serial serial entrepreneur, a serial drop dropout. So essentially, I dropped out of high school and I worked here and there in sales. Got to know sales very well. Then I thought I'd go back to uni. And with me, if I get obsessed with something, I get really obsessed. I got obsessed with drug discovery and biology. I took it all the way to from dropout to Oxford and Harvard. And then I landed. Then I realized that the whole world's bullshitting in terms of R&D and research. I'm not going to spend 15 years in a career just to try to find out if I can discover drugs. So I made 232 phone calls to CEOs and people all around the world. And I landed in China. And in China, I became vice president of business development and assistant professor at a very young career age. And I was just working hard in China and the pandemic hit. And then it's my second kind of um, career of a dropout. I dropped out of science because I was stuck in the pandemic in China. And um, the only place I could eat is in hotels. So I went to these hotels and I saw all these big, fat, mostly Chinese men sitting with cigars on their laptop. I'm like, what are these guys doing? And I was the only foreigner, by the way. And I'm like, what are these? And I'm very social, as you know. So I started talking to them. I used my Microsoft app. And I said, hey, what do you guys do? And they're like, oh, we sell on Amazon. We sell on e-commerce. We own factories. I'm like, let me see your numbers. Because I was doing business development in Europe at the time. So I knew ROI, numbers, returns, high-level corporate, uh, M&A strategy, and so forth. Like, These numbers are ridiculous. 200% ROI, 300,000 a week. Like, And these are very small operations at times, just from manufacturer to e-commerce. So within three days, I hustled and from China, started my uk business and started selling toys and i was very successful the numbers were very good i was still working at the time and then we moved on to a very um pivotal point where we started selling face masks and we done it for six weeks uh, made a killing out of it i said this is really good and then it got very hard um 
to stay in China during the pandemic. So I've shifted to the UK, still work for a bit, um, hybrid, and the business took off um, uh, in pet supplies. Uh, we done like 1.1 million in 11 months or so. Um, so I really kind of focus on the Amazon space. And then I officially left science, uh, kind of not dropped out, I still consult for uh, major companies around the world here and there, but really concentrate on e-commerce from last August. Um, so we're building brands, we're launching brands, and we're also looking at distressed assets. Uh, we think this is a pivotal period in, uh, in the e-commerce space. We're going to have a lot of distressed assets. So if you have any junk, please do contact us. I do like junk, so let, let us know. So that's, 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 sorry for the kind of long-winded answer, but that's how I got started. In, no, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting, Pradeep, there, because, I mean, I think <clears throat> we are, after all, the sum of our failures. And you talk about dropping out when actually these things are the experiences that you've given to deliver success, you know, uh, uh, on the outbound. I, I like what you say there about the hustle. You know, there's a theme here in podcasts and in the different characters that we meet within the e-commerce landscape and you know, we have on webinars and things of this ability to hustle, to take bold risks, to go up to that guy with a Google trans translator, uh, you know, in China, who you don't know, and to, uh, you know, to uncover those things. And I think that's what, uh, that's really, it, it's, it's that boldness that defines the difference between a successful entrepreneur and somebody that might be led rather than leading so it's really interesting the way that you word that and of course bold risks uh you know are are are, are something that's common to people who are successful in business at any one given time a lot of people will go about this in a much more mathematical way you know they'll they'll you know they'll drill the numbers on helium 10 or another piece of software to understand um, how you might do that but what are your factors when it comes to managing those bold risks right at the end of the point when you're when you're starting to make decisions on these distressed assets or you know these types of products that you're coming towards? I mean, was it luck involved with face masks at the time, or were you on a bandwagon, or how, how, how did you how did you mitigate those things? Well, yeah, if it comes to bold risk, I always um, tell a story about Miss Flanagan, my English teacher, when I was 14 years old. It was a love-hate relationship between me and her. I think we were both witty at the time. She said, Pradeep, in front of the whole class, are you optimist or realist? Um, so I was 14 at the time, didn't do much reading. And they just said, gut instincts, they said. I said, I'm an um, optimist living in reality. Um, and family and friends will tell you I'm very optimistic. But there's a sense of pragmatic um, reality that sets in in some of these decisions I make. So you asked about the face masks. We knew that in terms of manufacture, COGS, we were the best. Um, so that was a very um, numbers-driven, COGS-driven decision. And most of the time in high corporate level, uh, pharma, when I worked at, most of those decisions were gut instincts because you had a lot of time to play around um, and finance as well. So it, it's really a, I can't give you a direct answer, um, I don't think it's innately built in some people. It is in others, but it's gone down to experience and how much risk you have taken before. So if it's a product launch, uh, I and personally my team look at if we have 
very good cogs. If we have direct Chinese experience because I lived in China, we have factories there. So if the cogs are good, the ROI is good, and we think we have logistics experience as well, and we can get it to the states, the UK, very cheaply. Then the PPC and the CPC and the price points also matter. Uh, but if the margins are good from the start, it's good in a way. So even with these distressed assets we're looking at, we're looking at cogs first and who we know, not exactly, um, you know, how people go backwards from Helium 10 in terms of price points, reviews, and so forth. If we see a market share we can take with our cogs and our branding well, uh, very well done, we'll take the risk. Um, so with the pest supplies, we did so because our ROI was around 150, 175%. Uh, we knew you can compete. Uh, in other cases, in terms of bull risks, I think um, we look at a competition in the market share. And if some individuals, I think a lot of people look at CPC, uh, you've got to be very careful. I tell people you've got to work out your CPA, cost per acquisition, because after five clicks, you're still not by selling. So in other words, the PPC now particularly is cutting into uh, this um, the profit margin. So in other cases, we look at that as well. Um, so it, it's kind of a two-pronged approach and to see if we can actually uh, win in other sectors and maybe lose in other ways as well, if that answers your question. Yeah, I think it does. But is there is there any is, of those different cogs, mm -hmm. like the way that you split that piece out? Because, you know, breaking it down into these pieces that uh, help to get your head around, for any optimist, understanding what reality is and that fine line between kind of vanity and sanity of I've got an Amazon business and the reality of it is I'm getting an ROI, you know. Is there any particular stage that... Um, that you would take, be bolder in that risk in terms of, um, uh, is there anywhere where you feel you can push the cogs uh, harder or more softly that, that new sellers might gain insight from, from the way that you've done that? Where, where do things go wrong more commonly and where do things, what things fall into place more easily is probably a better way of, of asking. Yeah, so when you start off as a new seller, if you're brand new or even launching something new, I always say that you're the, you have the upper hand if you approach a Chinese manufacturer because you're coming from a UK or US where a foreign base uh, and you're bringing currency that's very strong compared to RMB. So you have negotiation power. Uh, you know, it's almost like fake it till you make it, right? You got to go in there hard and say to them, "Look, these are what I need. I need 500 products. Uh, this is our history. Oh, if you don't have a history, don't mention it." And say, you know what are your payment terms, 30, 60, 90 days? Even if they give you a cog that's kind of high, negotiate down, but try to get payment terms, even for the first kind of shipment. And that's going to be very hard. And that comes down to a numbers game. I tell people a lot, and I see this a lot, particularly look at the distressed businesses we are at the moment. They don't have many factories. They have maybe one. If you're lucky, you might have an Amazon seller that has two factories that might be responsible for the same kind of product. But really, you need to go through five to ten factories um, and look at their samples and look at what they can offer and the cogs and then negotiate. Say, hey, I got this offer. Can you get it better? So the more numbers you have, the more leverage and bargaining power you have. So if you try to get the cogs cheaper, that's good. But try to get payment terms. That gives you 
at least 30 to 60 days and also allows you to uh, work in the Amazon uh, cash cycle, right? Because cash flow is king. So that's the start. And then that's the start, the first call. Then when you go for the second order, ideally you want to be in 30 to 60 days nowadays uh, of supply. And if you can't put it into the Amazon warehouse, uh, use a 3PL or global e-commerce experts like yourself. Good point, use, well made. Yeah, exactly. Use 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 you guys who are also have logistical experiences. Store it, drip feed it in, and give you some time because that first launching might take a kind of a longer period to establish your ranking. But what you really need to do is you need to, for the second term, be hard on the negotiation, saying, "Hey, I'm back now, and I'm I paid you off. Hopefully, you paid them off, and then." hey, I want better terms now. You might still give me the 60, um, 60 days, but I'm ordering more quantity, put the cogs down. So that's when the second negotiation is, second negotiation. And also now by this time, you'll be spending more money. So even if they say, okay, let's put it down, you should give a percentage and not pay the whole thing um, after 60 days or after 30 days, you can pay a percentage down. So those are the negotiation cogs um, you should be doing. Um, so that's, Something and also new sellers or medium-term sellers, they say, "Oh, it's good for you. You got you guys know factories in China, and 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 you got experience." Well, here's a tip: Why don't you team up with someone? Why don't you go to these network events, which are free most of the time, um, and team up with someone that's got experience and say, "Hey, uh, do you have any people in China that you know of?" Then you go to those factories. Say, "I'm working with Ricky. He's got." 10 years experience or he's got five years experience this is a volume that we have done now you're working with ricky so your team say this is a volume and this is a history of um, money coming into alibaba china or your accounts and say this is that now you leverage that saying this is our reputation now can you give me payment terms and lower cogs so it's all down to the individual and how much you're willing to hustle there's always ways around it and by the way um alibaba now I, I, I actually advise people to use WeChat and try to get factory straight sourcing, not go through Alibaba, but Alibaba is a very good tool for starters and medium term kind of uh, uh, experts or novices, whatever level you are. Use Alibaba, then try to get them on WeChat and talk to them. And Alibaba now has 30, 60 day payment terms as well. So you can use that as well. Um, so first COGS, Try to get as low as possible multiple factories with payment terms, ideally. Second cog, definitely down on um, prices even more. And definitely you must have payment terms. Now, if you get that right, that allows you to have bigger margins to go aggressive on the PPC and go aggressive on the advertising and even uh, images, listing. You can pay a bit more to get quality on that end. So your conversion rates are better. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and when you when you were in China, were you actually going and visiting these factories? Or yeah. I mean, it's a big place, China. There's the factories in a lot of different places. But you know, it's interesting. You're talking about Alibaba there. You know, your most sellers will identify the type of thing that they that they want to buy, identify that product somewhere on the wholesale marketplaces like Alibaba, for instance, buy a batch of those things, and they never actually have too much of a conversation with the factory themselves. Yeah. Is your recommendation that you, you you spent time in China? Which, if you yeah. when you're starting this again, would you go back there, or do you just do it straight from Alibaba and WeChat? 
Well, uh, I mean, physically, it's hard to go back there all the time for each product launch. But if we have a big enough product launch, which I'm planning a trip to China next year. When I was there, of course, I visited uh, factories around the area. I think I've done two or three in long distance factory just to get networking up and above. But, you know, Ricky, I tell people this is not a transaction. It's an interaction, right? People see this as a transaction. Here's the money. Here's my product. It is, but it's actually a human interaction. And you need to have that human interaction. They're, they're people. <laughs> they're, they're not bots in China. They're actual people. And they have their norms, their culture, their family, and so forth. You know, get them on WeChat and, and get download WeChat. WeChat is essential. Talk to them. Hey, hey, how are you? What's happening around there? Hey, what's your call? You know, be friendly, not because you have a purpose. Just just interact and, 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 and talk to them saying, hey, what do you know? And by the way, the Chinese are competitive, but they also have a network of factories and friends as well because they operate in that sector. Hey, if you want silicon products, I can't do it. Some of my friends does it. But I have four friends that does silicon and this guy is cheap. So you start, you start working out things. You start working on networks. You know now and that builds up. So I highly recommend you start talking to them. If you can, get to China. Uh, get to China. I actually advise someone on another podcast. If you can't even get to China, get to Chinatown. Because um, knowing Chinese mannerisms, um, culture, uh, and just seeing the interaction uh, and the subtle differences when you're on Zoom compared to live, um, kind of face to face, it makes a difference. You know, I, and I think growing up in London or in a multicultural place like the UK, you see those differences very quickly, right? Between people, and we had the luxury to do it, so it helps you uh, because you tap into mannerisms. And the EQ gets higher. So interact. If not, go to Chinatown. <laughs> very good. Very good. And, you know, it's interesting you, hearing you talk there about growing up in London. And, uh, you know, some of this hustle must come from your your upbringing. You know, the, the sum of your failures through life, as it were. Uh, what do you think was your founded opportunity? And, you know, where did, where did you... Where did you start from in terms of, you know, we talked right at the beginning back to that first day where you were, um, you were in the science world and you saw the fat, the, the, the fat cats with their, with their cigars. Was that your founding opportunity? You made that yourself or was there something before that? Yeah, in, in, in e-commerce, yes, that was my founding opportunity. When I saw those numbers, I said, this is interesting. And before that, you're exposed to a world. And I'm thank God I made those 232 phone calls. And I said, you know, what, I'm not going to do 15 years or what they call a postdoc, where you do two or three lab rotations and maybe you might become a professor. I said, this is ridiculous. I have data for drugs that can help people. I'm not waiting 15 years. I'm just going to go to the place that's going to give me money to discover the drugs. And I don't give a monkeys about titles or professorships and so forth. So that kind of risk taking made me go to China. And I thank God I'd done that kind of thinking. And then when I was there, I got exposed to different levels of how money works, how business works. Even if it's science, it's how it got exposed. So that kind of, oh, I can do business. I can do entrepreneurship was a kind of a mental founding, as it were. Then the actual physical founding of my own e-commerce journey was that hotel when I met those fat cats. And where are they now? Are you outselling them, do you think? Oh, no, no, no. These are, these are big boys. Um, uh, they're so big that they don't need to even sell on Amazon now. They, they sell to big Amazon um, buyers. Um, so, 
no, I can't outsell them. Uh, you are staying in the same hotel, though, still. Let's face yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, kind of, if I go back. Uh, but um, they're friends. We've got a very good friends network, um, and we keep in touch here and there. Uh, and one of them actually said, why are you still phoning me? I'm like, because I like you. <laughs> they're quite direct there. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so, no, no. That, so that's, yeah, that's, that answers the question. So it's interesting. You know, one of the reasons why you perhaps didn't continue with science was your patience to get stuff done and your desire to get results positive results more quickly would that be fair to say it is and also to have something of my own um I, I, was very lucky. I was very lucky i had ceos who were very gave me a lot of freedom and but it, it's nice to craft something of your own and to put a stamp on it um so that's yes. one of my ink and also it, it gave me a you know Family's back home in the UK. UK's home. I am British, so it it was nice to come back to the UK. Yeah, and you know it's interesting when you from from when you when I uh, being inside the e-commerce landscape as I am, when I speak to people from outside, this is an immediate assumption that anyone that sells on Amazon or transacts on Amazon is, you know, instantly very successful and makes lots of money. You know, this is kind of uh the the gold rush the e-com gold rush as it were and as we know and as people listening to this podcast who are soul searching for you know the next uh the next route and incremental gain in their in their business it's not easy it's damn hard work and it needs you know logic and it needs a good degree of patience but perhaps what tips would you have for an amazon seller that wanted to get going quickly what are the easiest first wins? We've touched on that. Get to China. Make sure your 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 acquisition cost is as low and as stable as possible. Solid foundations. What are the next tips for that? You know, quick brand growth. Growth. I think it, once you get once you get the cogs right and numbers right in terms of, and then you you land in the UK. You do all the what I call the digital work. Um, so you need to make sure images are high quality. Now, we've been guilty of this in the past. We used images that are um, like edited with shutter shock images and so forth, you know, we're placed in. But now we're moving towards, you know, professional guys, depending on the budget, by the way, professional guys, you know, UK, US branded houses with, you know, real models and so forth. So images have to be on point with a Western uh, look. Uh, you know, when I talk to my team and we look out for these distressed assets to buy, one of the things like, do we have a kind of a, Eastern uh, um, a storefront or a Western storefront. That means if it's a Western storefront, it's more branded and we can see live images, videos of high quality with motion. So those things are very critical. Listing SEO keywords are critical. Uh, you can hire people to do that, but then uh, don't, get, don't get slack. Keep hiring them or keep turning over the SEO to see if the conversion rates get be better. And then you have to launch products around the products. And also, here's the thing, I'm, I'm on a crusade. You should know when to cut ASINs and cut marketplaces. This is the living in reality, particularly in the next three quarters. You know, when we look at these businesses or distress or others who I consult on, and I don't do much consulting on Amazon, but I just do it for free anyway. Um, uh, they think it's their kid. Uh, you know, it's my, my baby. It's my baby business. It's not your baby. It's, it's a business, right? It's logic. 
you, you know, it's my passion product. You need some emotion, but the thing is, you need to start to know when to cut. And people are very bad at cutting and cost cutting. Forget cost cutting, just cutting aces down. Uh, people talk about marketplace expansion, which is fair enough, and you guys do it very well. I've seen the success you've done from the US sellers going to Europe, but those are logical decisions. Just expanding to any market doesn't mean your revenue goes up. You, there's a whole set of logistics. There's a whole set of new PPC, CPC costs in that marketplace, in that in that kind of part of the world. So you really need to know if something's going wrong, cut it, cut the marketplace or cut the ASINs. So that's the key. So images have to be Western, more westernized, listings always updated, and cut ASINs and marketplace if you're really suffering. And try to, at this time, I think it's about try to give the consumer more value for their money, particularly in, in times of hard recession and um, inflation, uh, and particularly when logistical costs will go up, I think. Because, for example, uh, if you are selling supplements for 30 pills you know, for 30 days can, uh, in a one packet, can you give the consumer 90 days of supply in one larger packet? So you're cutting margins down, you're ordering more, so your cogs is less. Now, how can you pass the cost down and make it cheaper and effective for the customer? I think that's the key uh, in these next three quarters. Because you don't want to pass the price down. You want to actually say, hey, the price has gone up a bit, but I'm giving you more supply. I'm giving you more bundles. I'm putting items together. I'm making your supply last longer. So those customers keep coming back to you saying, haha, these, these are, this brand is quite good because they're actually saving me money or giving me a longer kind of um, uh, worth, for, worth for my money, value for my money, I should say. So that's the key as well. Um, so in those hard times, Try to put the customer first as well. Those are wise words. Thank you, Pradeep. I mean, you are genuinely um, a ray of light in our industry in so far as how freely you offer um, advice, uh, insight, and um, are open with your successes and indeed, you know, the things, your failures. What what have been what have been the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome? You know, from the from that day in the hotel, where in China, where you switched to ecom, transitioned your career away from where you researched and educated. What have been, in hindsight, what have been the biggest things that you said? Well, that wow, that was that was quite the challenge. And and what did you do to overcome those things? I think the biggest challenge, and I, and I actually consult on this for other companies, but it comes down to cash flow. Cash flow is king, and you need some cash flow to get in. I always say to people, debt is your friend, but why is debt, right? And how you raise debt um, is very important, and um, what kind of leverage you can use to get that debt. So cash flow is king. Uh, if I may expand, there's many ways to actually generate cash flow and take the risk out of losing the business itself. So I talked about payment terms. Uh, I talked about uh, another way is inventory financing. Get someone, there's a lot of companies out that will do inventory financing. There's daily and weekly allowances that a lot of companies do. So that's one way. One thing I haven't touched upon is equipment uh, financing. And they're like, what's that? I learned this in pharma. I gave a company money to build a new set of science uh, ex uh, equipment. And I told them, I'm going to give you this money, 
but the drugs you generate are going to be ridiculously cheap for us. So they're desperate for that money injection, and they actually gave us very cheap um, drugs to sell on. Um, drugs meaning medicinal drugs, right? Um, so, and we made a huge fortune and margin. So I'd, I'd done the same thing for my masks. My masks were actually C uh, verified and so forth, but most of them were from Sri Lanka because during the pandemic, Sri Lanka had a, they're, they're massively into t-shirts, garments and so forth. So I gave them some money, which I made from selling toys, saying, here's some money, convert those machines into mask machines because the same kind of material, different kind of thing, and the experts, and they did it. And we got very low cogs because we had the investment in the equipment, obviously all legally binding. So that's why we made a killing because our cogs are very cheap on the marks. So equipment finance is very interesting. If you can go to your factory and say, hey, you do silicon like this or mold is like this, can you change it this way? They're like, oh, we can't do it. Here's some money, but then you need to make sure those are very... Um, the mechanics and everything and the business models kind of steady and you trust the factory. So equipment financing is good, inventory financing, invoice financing, and also leverage um, uh, the banks um, and leverage debt if you can and make sure you um, kind of work on those cash flow issues because with Amazon in particular, those, those, those two weeks of biannual cash flow, it, it can be a killer particularly when you need COGS. So that's where also payment terms come into kind of good effect as well. So those are, I think cash flow is the biggest challenge. And if I may add one, uh, one more thing, Ricky, um, I'm on also another personal crusade to tell individuals and you have experts and gurus who are, and Godmen, I call them Godmen, <laughs> who are very good and, and they're very sharp and they, they tell you to move away from China um, in terms of manufacturing. And I get that. For the long term, I think that's a sensible option for the long term. If we look at what Apple does right now, Apple's now moved to southern India for one of the, some of the 5% of their devices, right? That's only 5%. Most is in China, Taiwan, that kind of region, most. Um, so that's a long-term effect. And by 2025, I think it's going to be 10% in India. Still, the majority is in China and around China. So this notion that you should everyone should now move to Mexico or move to somewhere else like Turkey or India, which is good, it's a long-term vision. Because believe me or not, the Chinese will still be very competitive. Some of these products and people have to look at, particularly also, by the way, when you look at COGS for the first launch, you need to look at where the raw material is from. Ask that question, where is your raw material from? And most of the raw material from most of these kind of products are still manufactured or made or imported in heavy bulk in China. You cannot build, outbuild the raw material. I talk about gunboat diplomacy, the East India Company, uh, you know, they might have a nefarious kind of name, but they control the raw material around the world, right? So going to Mexico and saying, hey, I'm in Mexico now. Mexico is very good. I'm sure the people are good. I'm sure the labor costs are low, but the raw material coming in is only a some of the raw material. They might have timber coming from South America. They might have, you know, other things they're very good at, but silicon-wise, they're not very good at. So you need to know the raw material. So if you can trace back the raw material as well, you get cheaper cogs. Powerful stuff. So we see you networking quite a bit, various different places around the UK, um, internationally, in fact. 
you've talked a little bit about these networks and your hustle. Where are your favorite places to do that networking? Where do you, what are your go-to places if you need, um, you know, contacts and info? Uh, in the e-commerce world, I go anywhere and everywhere. You know, when you don't have a luxury of someone give you a network, I think anyone, right? I, I, I don't, I don't, ex- I don't give excuses or take excuses. I don't care if you're brown, black, white, low class, middle class, wherever you're in the world. If anyone, everyone needs a network and you have to go there and hustle, it doesn't matter who's going to give you a network, you're going to go with that network, particularly if you're in a new field like e-commerce. So I don't have any favorite places. I just go where the crowds are gathering because I like the space, I like the people and just say yes to everything. So my opportunity came because a wonderful man, you know, Anand Shah, who runs kind of Amfest, I asked him, can I speak? He gave me five minutes at the end. And I made that work, network thought. Then the Pioneer guys saw me. They gave me a slot to speak. And other people gave me speaking slots. So I've been to Estonia, Germany, Bulgaria. Very good people um, in those kind of mastermind sessions gave me a slot. And I said yes. So if you're a young guy or a young woman or a young girl, or even if you're starting e-commerce, whatever age, you've got to go out there and just network anywhere, everywhere, that there's a what I call a critical mass of individuals and experts. You need that critical mass. And if you're around that critical mass, always you pick up points, you see the landscape. And the whole goal is to network and help people and do things for free. Please do things for free and don't expect anything in return. And the whole point is for you to understand the landscape that's developing. So you see a vision from a a logistics person like yourself. You see a vision from the uh, advertising agency. You see the vision from a seller. And then you get the landscape and say, huh, this is where it's going. This is where it's going. This is where it should be going. And this is where the kind of weaknesses are. And this is what people are not seeing. And that's when you exploit those opportunities. So the network allows you to know individuals also develop a knowledge landscape. And then you can carefully craft that. And that comes over time. And, you know, sometimes you might be tired. Sometimes you might be a bit off. You just have to get up, uh, put on your clothes and get out there. And isn't that the difference between somebody who's got some back bedroom hide side hustle of selling online to somebody who wants to that wants to be a career e-commerce, Amazon and other uh, online marketplace uh, seller is that actually it's hard graft. You need to get out there, travel around. You need to put yourself in front, front of people. You need to understand the market, understand what people are doing, the nuances of things that you can't do you know, as necessarily as a side, or you can, but as a side hustle is much harder. So you've, you come a long way in, you know, in a few short years, the scientist has, uh, you, and, and, and I love, I love listening to you. I love listening to your, um, the, 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 your pragmatic approach, your scientific approach to the, the, you know, the logic of, of, of acquiring goods, and then releasing them into the landscape and making people buy them. Which say it's always good fun listening to your approach. Where does it go from now? Where do you see yourself in two years' time, five years' time? You know, what, what is it? Is it just, just, does it expand spherically, or uh, have you got a different different attack, plan of attack? Yeah. So um, I always tell, I used to tell my students and my employees I, when I finished, I had six hundred people under me. Um, I had to tell them, you can work hard, you can have talent, but you can't be ambition. 
you can have talent and work ethic, but you need to have ambition because that will drive you in a certain way, right? Expand. Um, so my ambition is always guiding me in terms of we want to launch products. Launching products is fun. We should always have a backbone of launching products. We want to acquire now. Um, so definitely the distressed business is what I'm going to uh, focus on because we think there's a lot of turnaround opportunities. We already started uh, acquiring one or two companies um, and turning them around. So launch, m and acquire, and then we're going to use this hopefully to leverage and just to grow um, into other spheres, into other e-commerce. Maybe even, you know, we're looking at, I'm looking at the long-term metaverse as well. Um, so those are exciting opportunities. And, uh, you know, the networking also tells you the direction of when to stop and when to go and when to change direction. Um, so that's key as well. When to change direction? I mean, if 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 we could have a uh, the crystal ball of uh, of understanding of when to change direction, life would be different for a lot of sellers online, wouldn't it? But um, you know that that oh, aggregated it's... set of data of different of networking gives you so much so much power of understanding of where that direction might just go. Well, it's it's awareness. Uh, you've got to develop this awareness. And that's sometimes you can't teach it when I've in any field I've been to. You can't teach that awareness in individuals. You've got to have it. And that comes through experience, a bit of theory, and also a lot of failing. So you know when failure is coming and you kind of go the opposite direction. So that's where I think you, you just have to get in there, dive deep and get it done. Um, it's okay. Each to their own. If you want to be a bedroom seller and you've got some side hustles, some money coming in, you're happy and you can take your kids here and there. That's okay. Uh, but then you want to go to the next level, you really need to kind of develop that awareness. Uh, because with anything else in life, I think the human nature is to grow bigger and to have more potential and to get, um, and not to, I won't say the word conquer, but to develop. Uh, and that kind of developing hunger is always there in any individual. And that's where you need to kind of develop that uh, hunger, ambition to grow bigger and have a vision and that awareness. Such a lot of really good uh, info here for anyone wanting to sell. Pradeep, thank you so much for joining us. Thank uh, you very much. Your insight much. always um, really, really useful I, to, I, to anybody. I'd like to say it's been a pleasure and congratulations to all of you guys. You're doing a wonderful job. Uh, I've seen some of the numbers at the expansion um, uh, kind of metrics you're doing with sellers um, had a lot of good things so congratulations and keep up the good work and hopefully we can come back next year and tell you how our, our adventures are coming along thank you thanks for joining us and we we'll hope to have you again soon thank you so much e-commerce expansion myths blasted successful cross-border expansion help listen to the show to hear how one uk company is helping e-commerce sellers successfully expand into europe and double their profits hosted by andy hooper of global e-commerce experts